Hey there, Matt here. Before we get started, just want to let you know that we will be sprinkling some book knowledge into our podcast. Don't worry, they will not spoil any aspect of the story. They're just more supplementary. However, if you're a person who absolutely hates book reader knowledge in your TV talk, then this podcast probably isn't for you. Also, we're sorry. Anyway, here's the podcast. Hope you enjoy Dedicated to George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series. But I want you to use three words to describe the episode. Kelly, what was yours? And the HBO Game of Thrones franchises. Uh, I think Matt's new title uh, is Master of Complaints. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Before the Dragon. Don't tell me what to do. Do, 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 do. Still your 52,738th favorite podcast out of 3,247,162,130 Game of Thrones slash A Song of Ice and Fire slash House of the Dragon podcast out there. Welcome to Before the Dragon. I'm Matt, as always, on Thursdays, Wednesdays slash Thursdays, depending on when I have a chance to edit and release. We are joined by a full panel of all of my friends are, you know, they call themselves friends until we get off of the podcast. And then who knows, then everything's fair game. Nonetheless, I am joined by a group of panelists to discuss this week's episode, season one, episode four, King of the Narrow Sea, written by Ira Parker and directed by Claire Kilner. Uh, and very interesting episode. Lots of people have been talking about it in lots of different ways. We'll talk about it in whatever way. We find our way to forge through that as well. We don't like to dilly-dally around here too much, but we do want to let you know that we are always open for feedback after we get our initial ratings for these episodes from our panelists, and we'll tell you how to tell us that we're wrong or that we're right. At any rate, let's get started off to the West. We're going back to Kelly Burrito. She is the Song of Ice and Fire siren from the West Kelly, welcome back. What is your rating for this particular episode? I gave this episode a nine. I loved it. Uh, there were too few dragons, but there was a lot of drama and uh, just character development galore. So I was I was very into it. I'm sure we'll get into all the nitty gritty, but uh, it was good. I left, we were talking earlier, I left and turned off the episode and just could not stop thinking about it, which I haven't had that experience yet this season. So. It's up there. It's a nine plot points. Oh, I'm excited to get into it. Let's talk to our siren of a song of ice and fire from the South. It is Holly. Holly, what is your rating for this particular episode? And can you pinpoint a reason why? Yeah, Matt, this episode was wild, had so much messed up stuff. So much. I, I'm still thinking about it. Like, like Kelly, I'm still, I can't stop thinking about it. I've watched it a couple of times and it's, oh, it's so crazy. I can't believe all of the things that happened. It's my favorite episode and I gave it an eight out of 10. So not as quite as high as Kelly, but like, wow, crazy. What a ride. I don't know why I like it so much. It's like I said, it's so messed up. There's so many terrible things that happen, but this feels like we're home. You know, I don't know. There's something really special about this episode that um, I can't, way to talk about with you guys more and that only warrants an eight yeah yeah i'm going pretty 
strict with my uh with my ratings this time around um wow. nothing generous still this time it's still good it's still good i'm i'm giving it's this a b minus oh what on what scale is that eight and a half then i'll give it an eight and a half oh, okay well now it's a solid b so there you go i want to turn next to our loser for the week john yeah. uh john managed to <laughs> pick the one person that none of us thought would ever uh, be a victim of seven hills and uh he wrote it which i you know susan i think you and i both encouraged john to do this but nonetheless uh now he's stuck with the punishment he's going to announce what he's picked as a punishment when we get to our seven hell segment later on in the, these episodes but john the most important thing that everybody wants to know is how did you receive this episode what kind of rating did you give it and a brief reason why 6.9 for uh, probably the uh, most obvious reasons, but um, I, this episode was really weirdly paced. Um, it was also wonderfully skeevy, as all of us um, lovers of weird Targaryen-ness are, but it was just, yeah, it was just a, a weirdly paced. I enjoyed it. It was interesting from like a book reader's perspective in terms of how things didn't, um, look the same on screen as we've read in the past. Um, so in terms of character character reveals, it was good. Just, yeah, the pacing really messed me up. I didn't really care for it. I was also very tired when I saw it, so this may, may be um, coloring my opinion. But, yeah, it, I wouldn't say it's bad TV. I'd say it's good TV, but for Game of Thrones, it was a little less than. Wow, okay. But it was a, definitely uh, awkward. I was... Again, I'm always looking for dragons, but I'm I'm judging it on the scale of Game of Thrones. If I was judging this thing against the rest of the TV, it'd be an A. But this is Game of Thrones, and it was a little bit slower. Not as many reveals. Um, there were moments that were kind of cool, but it was. And as much as it don't like to say this, but maybe the Millie and Matt Smith kind of romantic scenes were just a little bit too skeevy for me. Mm, okay. <laughs> it was just like way way too young for you old man but as an old man i guess i can't be too upset <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke everybody just relax yeah, your email. We're, we're going to put a disclaimer here right now john did not mean that uh in the way that no. you took it so take it in no, the way that he meant joke. it exactly <laughs> susan how are you gonna follow that up with your rating because i i don't know uh that 6.9 did you say john Yes. Wow. What have you got for me, Susan? I hope it's better than a 6.9. Maybe. Yeah, I'll, I'll say wow, too, because I'm going in the opposite direction. I'm giving it the highest rating of the four episodes so far. I'm going to go all the way up to a nine. A nine. Wow. wow. What brought it for you this time around? Um, I think it's been the uh, progression of we're really starting to get into the meat of the different conflicts that are going to be underpinning the story uh, going forward and things are starting to really come to a boil with all of this and uh, I just uh, really liked that I think uh, you know a lot of the initial setup we've gotten past that and uh, so I think uh, we're we're into the heart of the story and I'm enjoying it I did not give my rating for the initial reactions uh or during the initial reaction because i was too busy taking time to react to everybody else's reactions 
some of which I personally felt were a little bit overblown. But despite that, uh, I'm going to give this probably a, a slightly higher rating than I did last week. Uh, I'm going to go right at about Kelly's level and I'm going to go a nine. Not my favorite episode of the season. I do feel like this one was handled much more beautifully. And I think that we were very fortunate to have a, a female director or somebody who could understand a woman's perspective on some of this stuff uh, to present it in a way that wasn't just, oh, look at this, um, even though I feel like that a lot of people took it like that. Uh, but I think if you look at the deeper layers of it, and God knows I'm not a person who is qualified to speak on, on these kinds of sensitive issues as far as women go. But I think uh, if, if people look at this on, on the level that it was intended, um, they're going to find a pretty great piece of art. I thought the acting was amazing in all of those scenes. And uh, that was the thing that really stuck with me. The problem is, is that because that does stick with you so much is that it, it makes you tend to forget some of the other things about the episode, as we found out when we were creating this doc that, you know, I just like, I just kind of dismissed the whole, well, Otto's gone thing. And that's a big thing. Uh, nonetheless, I've spoken enough about it. Uh, let me talk to you about the one thing, folks, that I am good at speaking about. Well, most of the time uh, in this particular case, I'll be addressing a music segment where I am taking a theme that I've looked at for eight years of Game of Thrones and half a season almost of House of the Dragon and changed my mind about what it means because I have new evidence and I like to use evidence when I'm talking about music. If you don't like preachy things about, you know, theories and, and evidence and that kind of thing, or, or you just don't like talking about music, you may want to skip ahead 12 minutes simply to, to get past my, my preachy self. But if you're interested in that, please enjoy. We live in a fast world today, and it's a world where we often try to get things out there first so that you can be the first to click on it. And then we go back and as time goes on, we search for evidence to prove us right. I'd like to point out that that is not the purpose of the scientific method, be it applied to whatever you do in life. The purpose of scientific method is to falsify your theories. You don't look for evidence to support your theories because you wouldn't come up with anything with a theory if you didn't think you already had evidence to support it or you were in seeking of evidence to support it and then you publish whatever you do. Instead, by looking at scientific theory from a perspective of always trying to falsify what you think as time goes on, and as little evidence shows up to do so, then your theories become stronger. Not by finding more instances of proof, but by finding fewer or zero instances that falsify what you do. I say all of this because I get really tired of people doing theories just off the top of their head and then actually taking the time 
to just find little instances that that prove what they say or a, a little snippet of what they say and then take credit for it, pat themselves on the back. We used to do a segment around here called Pat Yourself on the Back uh, where we take the smallest thing, making fun basically of the podcast world, because that's something about the podcast world that really bugs me is, is I'm all for making theories. That's fun. That's speculation. But then when you try to use the smallest instances or coincidences to prove your theory, that's when I have a problem with it. Instead, what I try to do when I, especially about music, because it's the only thing that I feel qualified to make theories about really. What I try to do is I find a group of evidence over multiple occasions, and then I form a theory about that. And then I wait for those things to be falsified, the things that I draw about it so that I can start to reshape the actual truth rather than just purporting my own delusion. This is the case with a piece of music that's been with us since season one of Game of Thrones. I've, I've found information here in this series that has falsified one of the thoughts that I've always had about a piece of music that Ramin wrote that I've called the Dragon Connection theme. The Dragon Connection theme is something that normally sounds like this. That was the original melody, not even really the original harmony. It's the harmony that became more associated as the series grew uh, all the way through to the end. But one of the things that I found about this particular music, particular piece of music, this particular theme, is that over the course of this series, House of the Dragon, I found that it's really not about the connection with the dragons at all but perhaps just dragons themselves. Now, you can perceive the dragons as being the actual physical creatures, or you can perceive the dragons as being the Targaryens. Either case is where this applies better than just a connection between an individual and a particular dragon. Now, I differentiated that specifically in Game of Thrones because the only example that we had was Daenerys, and three dragons, and they were all hers, and her connection to them was all her. So I was thinking, okay, well, then this is about the connection between her and the eggs in season one, between her and the dragons throughout the rest of the series. But one of the things that's happened in this first season of House of the Dragon is we've heard that theme applied to multiple characters, sometimes when dragons aren't present, sometimes when dragons are and I'm starting to believe that this is just about whether you're a physical dragon or whether you're a Targaryen. You just think of it as a dragon theme, not a Targaryen theme, not a dragon connection theme. Because in this particular episode, as Viserys is preparing for Daemon to arrive, and, you know, it's kind of tense and everything we hear a reharmonized version of that very theme. There are no dragons present except for Viserys himself. He is a dragon, um, maybe not the most adept a dragon, but he is a dragon. And so 
we get a really interesting new harmonization of this where the baseline goes to places that you don't expect. And what it does is it creates a tension. It sounded like this. So that's another reason why I'm kind of striking the word connection from what I call this theme anymore. And I'm just going to call it a dragon theme. Again, this is just based on falsifying. That's what you look for. You look for evidence to falsify what you think about something. And that's how you get closer to the truth, not by finding more evidence of what supports you. You have to look at all of the evidence and you it doesn't take nearly as many instances to falsify something as it does to uh, gather enough support to where you can raise your arm and say, I was right about this. Hey, evidently I was wrong. Another way that this theme has been applied, and I want to make this perfectly clear, that these are two separate themes, but they have been interlinked sometimes. I love Rhaenyra's theme with the little voice things going on and you hear it once done with strings uh in this episode i believe as well but you mostly hear just that motif of the voice and i love the little beat that goes on underneath it and the chord progression because the chord progression the harmony uh starts in a minor chord and then it goes up a half step and that's not natural in any key really uh you can apply different kinds of scales to get those or different kinds of modes of scales to get that kind of harmony. But what I love mostly about this is the fact that this seems to be specifically a theme for Rhaenyra. It sounds like this. just a wonderful theme with these nice percussive things that kind of go across the bar and feel weird. And the melody is syncopated or the motif on top is syncopated. It, it doesn't hit beats directly. All of that is just wonderful. And I think it, it kind of represents Rhaenyra really well. I can't exactly explain why, but there's a sense of, of almost, somebody who is not following the rules about it that that's i think what makes it rhythmically i think that's what's happening there that makes it seem like uh very much rhaenyra because she is kind of a rule breaker right and uh i love the rules that she's trying to break but that's the way it goes now in this particular instance for this episode we heard this when she got the uh, the message from Damon and as she's going through the little back areas or whatever of the castle to get to where he is at. And I absolutely loved it. But I want to remind everybody that we heard that theme as Rhaenyra was confronting Damon, actually right after they had confronted each other and he'd given her back the egg. We heard that theme when she placed the dragon egg back into its little carrier and then uh, flew off. We also heard it once she returned 
to uh, the Red Keep uh, and was going to meet with her father. All of this again in episode two. But that melody that I played right up the beginning is also played with it. So what that says is, is in that case is where you have that theme plus Rhaenyra, you're basically saying Rhaenyra is a dragon. You're also saying she's returning a dragon egg. And those are really interesting ways to perceive this very old theme that we've thought of before. But during that course of episode two, by adding that melody to it, it does give it a, a kind of a different sense as well. Uh, and it sounded like this. So to conclude, my three words for the musical segment is I was wrong. And I'm happy to admit that. I love learning new things. I love falsifying things that I thought were true before based on evidence. Always look for evidence to falsify what you're thinking. Don't look for evidence to just support what you're thinking. Because there will be no evidence to falsify what you're thinking if you're actually right. That's all I've got for this week's musical segment. Sorry to be a little preachy, but that's the way I am. You know that. Dedicated to George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series. I mean, a clash <laughs> is such a great word. Not a humdrum word like war or skirmish, battle. No, it's a clash of kings, even though the kings never get within 100 miles of each other. And the HBO Game of Thrones franchises. That's true. That is miles. true. <laughs> Clash of the King's Men. <laughs> it's Clash. It, the proper title should have been Clash of the King's Men. You're listening to Before the Dragon. Don't tell me what to do. Do, 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 do. There it goes. There it goes. I can't read that at all. Uh, Holly, what does it say? Um, it, it's got page numbers. Page? Um, page numbers. I, I guess from the book, Fire and Blood. Um, let's see. Uh, the Eustace slash Mushroom Compromise and a new show canon. I think it's so many words on that wheel. That's crazy. I know. It's, it's very, very fine printers uh, that we Ooh. put on those wheels all the time, I suppose. Pages 365 to 369 is the testimony of Mushroom regarding Damon and Rhaenyra and Kristen Cole and Rhaenyra. So uh, what I found was that the show kind of made a compromise. It took some of what Mushroom said, and they kind of made that so. And they took some of what Mushroom said, and they kind of made it not so in terms of the, the Kristen Cole bit, at least. The difference between the books and the, and the show, um, I've actually really enjoyed. I didn't do a refresh reread before the show started. So I'm actually really enjoying kind of letting the show be its own creature and being surprised by the changes and i'm i actually appreciate some of the decisions that they're making along the way so that it can be its own thing and i guess i didn't even remember that this was that distinct from the storyline um i don't know what that says about me i'm losing my identity as like a song of ice and fire nerd but like i, I didn't catch it that it was it, that they had changed it so um i actually kind of like that about the differences that they're the choices that they're making because we get to be surprised even as you know big nerd uh, fans anyway so 
that actually works for me. Um, as long as they're small and they don't like compound into, you know, big changes where you have to have like six characters represented by one character, <clears throat> brawn, you know, <laughs> eventually. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, as long as it, they know what they're doing and I trust, you know, the magic has a plan. So we'll figure it out uh, as we go. But Kelly, I can't let you get away with that. The magic does not have a plan, according to you guys, a couple of weeks ago. Yes, there was a tree, but it doesn't have a plan. It's all random. There's no plan. No plan of the magic. So right now, I trust him, and I think it's going to be okay. As for Chris and Cole's decision-making in that moment... I don't know. I, 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 you know, at the end of the episode, I just had to keep saying to myself, it's a, she's way smaller than him. She's younger. He's bigger. And it's hard for me to ever feel like a dude is being taken advantage of. But of course, there's the almighty overbearing, you know, problematic power dynamic, you know, <laughs> that comes into play. And um, it reflects poorly on Rhaenyra. I think that she used him, and I think that's uh, going to be how it comes out um, down the line. And that's he was obviously willing. He could have, you know, stopped it physically at any point if he wanted, but that's not his um, struggle. His struggle wasn't the physical dominance; it was her power um, dominance that he kind of submitted to. And love it for her because you know, coming of you know, into her womanhood and, and taking what Damon taught her to heart. And, you know, as Targaryens, they can do what they want. But at the end of the day, uh, it, it, I think there are consequences. And that when he they put the um, the moon tea on the table in front of her at the end, and they just the shot just stayed there with her staring at it. It was just my, you know, impression was she was just staring at the consequences of her actions. And that was the first time it was kind of hitting her um, that, you know, all of this chaos can can come back to bite you and that is the kind of her lesson of that episode and we'll see how it continues to come back to bite her or if she learned her lesson um but it was beautiful it was beautiful and yes like you said like the the agency that she had in that scene is so refreshing from game of thrones so ollie your thoughts about Kristen cole because i think we've got a special category here for yeah i i kind of saw something else on the wheel that my point is just going to kind of encompass all of them but um I guess for me, just kind of to overview, we had like three sex scenes in this episode and I felt for each one, I felt, but you know, like how you think you would feel like I'm watching this scene, this sex scene between two people, it's fiery, it's passionate, it's, it's crazy, like there's crazy chemistry there, but it's you know, an uncle and a niece in a brothel. It's like super inappropriate. And then we have this scene, which is like, on the one hand, like Kelly described, it was very well done, but like it does reflect poorly on Rhaenyra and the way they took their time showing every bit of his armor, you know, being slowly pulled off and him contemplating each piece was really powerful and made me feel really uncomfortable for him. Um, And then we have... Then we go to the sex scene I found the most disturbing was between the married couple, the king and the queen. That was so awkward and hurtful. And I that that made me feel icky inside. And the scene that should have made me feel icky inside did, did not. So it's just says a lot about what these guys are doing with this show. Guys and gals are, are doing with this show and making us feel all kinds of weird things that you wouldn't expect to feel 
based on what these characters are, who they are and what they're doing and who they're doing it with. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, it's just very gray. And that's, I think that's why I like this show so much because I'm so conflicted on like what I'm supposed to feel about what, um, it's crazy, man. This, this, I'm, st- I'm still going to be thinking about this for the, like the next two weeks. Well, let's go even crazier and dig it down another level and take it down to the level of Damon or Dame off. Uh, and specifically focus on that scene because you said Holly that that made you feel uh, differently than you your brain's perceiving it one way your other parts of your insides are perceiving it another way there's all kinds of weird conflictions going on yeah straight out of a of, of a, a a story of conflicting testimonies so uh, that's pretty cool uh, to yeah. me, the fact that it did make you feel that way. I think that that's a massive achievement of everybody involved from production to performance to whatever. Uh, so the thing that hung me up about Damon, and I will say this and I will say no more, was the level of alcohol that he was giving Rhaenyra to ingest. Uh, because as we all know, the level of alcohol can affect judgment. It can affect a great number of things. Uh, I would even go so far as to say that it seemed so strong when she took that first drink, I would go so far as to say that perhaps, um, it was still affecting her judgment quite a bit when she did the thing with Kristen Cole. So at that route, that's, that's them being Targaryen, even where they did it um just seems targaryen the the incestuousness and everything uh i've kind of unfortunately had to grow to accept this i'm i'm not quite as uh as staunch about it as john snow was in season eight of game of thrones but uh, to me that stuff didn't bother me near as much as the fact that you're giving this girl agency and she's making a choice which runs him off by the way, he just goes and runs and hides uh, for whatever reason. We can talk about that as well. But nonetheless, um, she is not fully within her capacities. Would she have made that same choice to be excited by him if it had not been for the situation that he put her in? That's all that I, I, that's a question. I don't have an answer for that because I'm not a female and I don't understand how much, whatever, you know, I'm, 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 I'm dumbfounded here. So I'm going to put it to you guys as to, you know, you can talk about the disgustingness of Damon's actions or whether it wasn't as disgusting as some of the other thing, like Holly said, she found the scene with Viserys and and Allison to be uh, something quite loathsome. So uh, I guess I'll turn back to you, Kelly. What did you think about this? I think he started with good intentions. I think he ended up making bad decisions along the way. I think he wanted to, He they had that conversation at the uh, Godswood and he saw that she was heading toward a life of like loneliness and she wasn't able to see anything that would have brought joy. Like he had that line about, you know, this world is a tragic place, but if you live in fear, you'll forsake the best parts of it. And he wanted to show her the best parts of it. And he kind of understood that she's been behind these walls and she got to have her little Jasmine from Aladdin moment where she goes out into the market and sees, 
you know, not only is he showing her the, you know, the way that the common folk think of her, but he's also showing her the way that they live and experiencing them. And, you know, he may not have gone about it in the right way, but he kind of started it off in this, I think, with good intention kind of way. And it, they kept, to the seven hells good intentions yeah they kept showing shots of him and he like thinking or like looking at her and i couldn't tell if he was deciding then what he was going to do next or if he had this all planned out so that's kind of something that we can talk about but like especially in the brothel he brought her there and then they kind of had this shot of him just um before one of the cutaways where he's staring at her thing, and then he kind of seems to make a decision and then he starts taking her downstairs um and that's where it escalates um, at that point and whether that's alcohol and him and her both, you know, escalating, but you're right. Like the decision to give her alcohol in the beginning, but then to not, you know, limit the experience, you know, to reasonable behavior is on him. Um, And yeah, I think in, in our, you know, if we're going to judge the patriarchy and everything else about this show based on our common, you know, our modern context, then I can judge him for that too, saying that that was irresponsible and, uh, foolhardy that he did that in that case as well and as it can't game comes to uh Rhaenyra then later you know overstepping with with Kristen Cole and not respecting his cloak you know the way that like Catelyn said to you know I'll never ask you to do anything disrespectful or you know to do anything with dishonor in her oath to Brienne like the, that that oath goes both ways so Rhaenyra did kind of I think have a lapse in judgment and it could have been because of the alcohol which is on Damon. <laughs> well, I, well, his own ingestion of alcohol. He was drinking quite a bit himself, you know, so his sure. his judgment was becoming quite impaired as they went along as well. And Holly, um, maybe can I ask Holly what you think? Because like, I don't know, I've been in certain situations where like, I hoped somebody would like look out for me when I was overindulging, but like, you still are an, are an adult and you make that decision to overindulge. So like, where is, if we're going to give her agency in choosing who she's having sex with, and then are we not taking that away from her as well when she's making the bad decision to drink the alcohol demon hands her? That was what I was going to rebut with that because a, first of all, we can assume that Rhaenyra is not a stranger to drinking wine at this point. She is of age now, you know, she's able to marry. I'm sure she's, been drunk enough you know um so i'm not i don't know i i see what you're i see where you're going with it matt where maybe he was like feeding her like a bunch of wine well, and she i mean that, handle herself what but was I, it I what what i'm asking is what was in that bag that he was giving her uh because that was clearly not wine that was something that made her spit um oh that, that's, that's what some, some street drugs some king's landing street drugs matt well like, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking it was more along some lines of like a hard whiskey that she had never had or anything like I that. Mean, but possibly, but I mean, she's the princess, you know. I feel like she's probably had plenty of access to alcohol, and she is old enough to marry, therefore old enough to make her own decisions. She did not have I, to put on that garb and go. She didn't have to follow his note. All of that. Um, I think that Damon probably had this whole thing planned maybe from the beginning, like, like, like even bringing her to the brothel and making sure that she was seen everything else included though. It's so, he's so, Oh God, he makes me so mad, but he's so interesting because you really, I'm going to be questioning his judgment and like what he really wants forever. Cause I, on the one hand, I, I think he does, he is into Rhaenyra. I think there, there's something between them, the way they're the only two that speak Valyrian to each other. Like that's, that's, you know, we don't see Viserys talking Valyrian at all. And he's the one with the Valyria model in his bedroom. Um, I just think that's interesting. So they have like this, they have this intimate relationship already. 
Now, whether he spent her younger years grooming her, that's where uh, his behavior is a lot more shady. That's everything leading up to today. But even then, Targaryen's gonna Targaryen. I don't know, you know. Um, But I think he had it planned because by the time they get to the brothel, he just like, he wants her to be seen. He pulls that beanie right off her little head. So everyone knows exactly who she is. And then he's no stranger bringing her into the middle of that room and like getting down. And like, so everyone can see. And I think the end goal was to try to, you know, A, get to Viserys and like B, maybe also get himself a good marriage match in the meantime. And Mm. if he can make Viserys believe that, he did sully her. He had enough witnesses. He didn't have to go. He didn't have to go all the way through it, whether he was turned off because she was into it or not. He didn't have to. He yeah. had done enough. Um, left her with her pants down. So. Yeah, uh, exactly. And and oh, one of my favorite lines in this episode, just because I use it so much in my own life and work life and stuff, is perception uh, is is reality to them. I forget. Sarah said it or exactly the wording but perception is reality in a situation like this yeah people she could have not done anything with Kristen got cold like she could have just gone home went to bed and then woke up still been a virgin and people would still be questioning her stuff they they had enough so uh. interestingly in terms of just relating it to the various uh, scenarios that the book gives us I have listened to some interviews from George Martin where, again, when people are trying to ask him uh, are what we're going to see on screen for House of the Dragon, is this the definitive truth to these various scenarios that the uh, book was laying out? And uh, he didn't quite answer it that way. He was more of uh, just like he does with um, his book series versus the Game of Thrones shows, he's like, this is a version of the truth. Mm-hmm. So he tries to really distinguish between um, that, that they are all different. Uh, they're different just different versions. entities. Yeah, they're different manifestations. I, I liked what they did. Um, and I'm going to bring up something that uh, I don't know that a lot of people have addressed, but I think that, you know, for... You know, people, a lot of people, of course, are horrified by Damon's behavior with his uh, young relative and think, you know, this is totally inappropriate. And certainly uh, that's true. Um, but one thing I think he did that was, uh, I, I think he did a couple of things that were uh, good lessons for her, because when they were mm. having that discussion in the garden, he was basically answering her fears because she was she was definitely expressing the fact that marriage to her represented uh, potential death, you know, and yeah. obviously this was tied in with, uh, you know, sex resulting in pregnancy and childbirth and all the things that come along with that. So he kind of opened up the idea of it doesn't always have to be that way. And there's other aspects to it and that there is um pleasure that you can get out of sex so i think that you know and especially when we then go compare that to alicent who obviously is stuck in a situation where she's not you know it's not something that she would have necessarily chosen for herself and doesn't appear to be giving her any pleasure 
um, that this was opening up things for Rhaenyra that uh, were a good thing for her to be able to experience on, on some levels. Um, however, with a lot of complications, uh, she's a young girl. And then when she went back to her room um, and uh, this whole incident with, uh, with Christian, um, uh, I've heard people talk about the whole agency issue there with him in terms of how much did he feel, regardless of his attraction to her, did he feel obligated to go along with what she wanted? And right. that reminds me of the whole mm. thing that uh, George lays out so well with uh, um, Jamie when he talks about there's vows and vows and you know you promise and you promise and they always conflict with each other and if you follow through with one thing you're going to end up breaking something else right so if he's going to follow through with obeying the princess she's asking him to basically break his his vow of chastity uh that he took by becoming the the um king's guard and his constant uh focus on the white cloak was obviously uh, showing that this was eating on him as well as his behavior the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it, this is a great topic in terms of like for everybody that's read the book versus non reading the book. I think the book readers get extra kind of like little spice of life here in terms of we get to now, we get to get to read the perspectives of other people in terms of how they observed it or wanted things to be. And now we get the full truth to kind of see what that extra little layer of story time. So it's what that part's really, really cool. If you're into that, granted, if you just want to hear the story for what happened, here you are. So in terms of that, uh, th this felt really um, probably the real of it in terms of who Rainier is, what we've seen in the pr prior episodes, the way things have gone, I think, if anything, I was a little bit surprised how accepting Rhaenyra was of Damon's advances. But it did feel like Damon kind of stepped back and I, I got a thing in terms of how I read it. He's like, yeah, I shouldn't be doing this. And he kind of recoiled at his own actions and kind of stepped back from it. And then Rhaenyra was like, I'm still in the mood for this. So that's where she found Sir Kristen Cole and kind of pushed him into a corner that he probably wanted to be in. And he felt that he couldn't say no, but it was really interesting in terms of how they shot it. He took his cloak off. He kept looking at his cloak as he was kind of taking his armor off. Right. So the, thinking I mean, about was, that oath, baby, just thinking yeah, about yeah, that. Oath. Yeah. Oh, it was very well done in terms of that. Like in terms of storytelling, I know I gave this episode a lower rating, but in terms of storytelling notes, in terms of things shot and how it was told, there's certain layers that this show probably, I would say, kind of supersedes the prior like Game of Thrones show because they really hang on those moments. And if you can, if you, because I guess can understand what they're trying to show, it really dives deep into the character and kind of peels things back and gives time to thing to breathe a little bit. Mm -hmm. However, yeah, I mean, I, I was totally fine with it. it. It felt very natural, very real. This felt like kind of a really real person kind of experience. Fields and McCoys of Westeros, the Blackwoods and the Brackens. Uh, how did you feel about seeing the Blackwoods and the Brackens? We've read about them so much 
in the stories uh it almost feels like they are an integral part of the story sometimes the way george writes about them in the book so uh was it fun to see this feud brought to life yes yes i loved it uh it was definitely i think uh something that uh, gave people who have read uh the uh, novels and read fire and blood uh, a little bit more um, you know, they probably enjoyed it a little more than just the average viewer who didn't know the, the history behind these folks. But uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, I also enjoyed the fact that, um, you know, they were at Storm's End and uh, kind of setting up something bad happening there that they may be foreshadowing something that will happen later on that also uh, the, the, the lore there was will not be too happy about. Yeah, I can see that as well. Uh, you know, one of the things about that particular setup and everything was, and I, I guess this might be a commentary or a slight criticism of the show, was that if it hadn't been for the stag on uh, the Baratheon's front that was sitting there with Rhaenyra and with Kristen Cole standing guard, I wouldn't have known where the heck we were. But I'm assuming we were at Storm's End, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, I have heard people comment on the fact that they heard thunder uh, during that segment. Mm -hmm. I hadn't gone back and tried to specifically listen to that, that, you know, that might have been put in to give a, a little bit more hint to it. And that the room was round because you've got the round drum room in one of the main chambers there at Storm's End. So yeah, there were a couple of clues, but probably not a lot for people to pick up on that don't know a lot about the details of that. Right. It's also easier to have a round room when you've got a volume that you're filming in, which is evidently what they shot that scene in. Uh, yeah. So it worked perfect. It worked out perfectly for everybody involved. Uh, John, did you have anything specific about the Blackwoods or the Brackens that you wanted to discuss? Was, was it cool to see a Blackwood take a Bracken down? That part was cool for me. I would have enjoyed it more if I wasn't filled with a room of people who are like, what's going on? What's happening here? So to your point, Matt, people that are not book readers probably did not know what was going on. Yeah. And for for me, that probably detracted more than help okay. as somebody who was a book, a book reader with non-book readers. It's almost like I felt like I needed to watch it first to really appreciate it. I mean, I picked up on everything and I got it, but some of the finer details of kind of what the, di what that individual dispute was. I remember the black woman practice. Like that, that is not lost on me, but it was very confusing for non-book readers. Got a lot of weird looks and kind of what's going on. Why are we here? And I'm like, well, I don't think it's going to be critical that you know exactly why I just, I have to like sit with it and I'll explain it later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a big Easter egg is what it was uh, for book readers more. So I saw a lot of, or I heard a lot of uh, people comment on the fact that they, they liked the fact that this young kid took out this older bully who, I mean, he wasn't that much older, just uh, right. <laughs> a few years older, but they, they liked that aspect of it. And uh, what I thought was, was uh, fun there too. A lot of people, Again, going back to people who are book readers who would have picked up on this thought, maybe this is... This was very exciting scene for me, uh, Matt, because of all the reasons you said. Um, we've just been reading so much about these this feud between these two houses, and it's finally getting to see it on screen was amazing. And I did something I never do when I watch an episode, like the first time. 
I rewound it as soon as the scene was finished and I played it over again because I was like, I can't believe this. This is happening. Like, I, I never do that. Like, I'm, I'm, mm -mm, I'm a very, I got to stick through it. I'm just going to watch the episode as it is. No, I, I stopped it and I rewound it and I watched that scene all over again because it was so exciting. And um, I was not happy with Rhaenyra in this particular scene and, and actually a lot of these scenes, but we'll maybe get into that later. But um, so I did not appreciate how uh, she was very dismissive of him. But even but even then, you know, after he was done talking, she was like, oh, I could could grow to love that one. And I was like, you could do better than that, Rhaenyra. Like, you should marry that kid. That kid looks awesome i mean he's kid don't you wait know. a minute which kid did she say that about i thought she it said was that about, about the, the blackwood kid i thought she said it about the bracken kid no it was, was the mocking. blackwood kid no it was no i think she said it about the blackwood kid i'm with matt i'm with matt, matt. I think she, yeah i think yeah. she said it about the bracken kid it was after he's right after he said a smart aleck comment that she made that comment and so oh, that's, really yeah. big disappointment oh exactly. okay but I, I'm with you, though, Holly. I root Blackwood all the way for in this particular Yeah, case. okay, yeah. And you, sh everybody, if you don't, haven't read the books or whatever, the main thing you, I, I don't know enough about the Bracken, the Brackens, but I know the Blackwoods, like he said, um, they they came from the first men. So they, um, do they pray to the old guy? They have a weird, they're, they are a Southern house and they have a weirwood tree, tree. Um, at their castle. Um, so I believe they do pray to the old gods. They're one of the few Southern houses that do. Very, very old, honorable house. Um, really lovely to see them on screen. That was great. Loved it. Like, I want to see that in, on screen. And I want to see the what the house is famous for, which is this migration of a thousand crows to this tree every night. Um, it just sounds so cool. Um, and I'm hoping that we get to see that with these guys. Um, it is curious speaking of these, you know, switch changes from the, the book to the show that this, I, I do know that this was one change that they, um, switched who attacked whom and who died. Uh, that was, if, if the Bracken kid died, that's the opposite of what happened in the book. Um, oh, okay. Strangely, I didn't even um, know that it was real at all. I just thought that they were just showing the feud. Okay. Um, I don't know if he actually died. I know he lost the duel. The Bracken lost the duel in the book. So it's just interesting that they made that change. I think they're just trying to do some fan service <laughs> or something. Possibly Ryan Connell so. knows what's up, but House Blackwood is is the is the shiz. So well, just listen to the mouth on the Bracken kid, and that yeah. tells you everything you need to know. It's like no respect at all. That big bully. The bully Bracken. Uh, no if we good. were a double P podcast, we'd say that's a double B. Hey, Kelly, uh, did it land where it think it landed? I think I see an A. How did you guess? Your eyes must be getting better as we go. Uh, glasses <laughs> are less foggy than they were. She's done her duty. He doesn't need another heir. I mean, and evidently what this told me, and I don't know, Kelly and Holly, you probably should say this more than I should, but what this told me was the fact that there isn't as much love there as there is duty. Um what did uh, you think, Holly? I 100% agree. Um, all all duty, all the time. Not not fun. Not fun at all. I mean, he could have, you know, helped her with a baby instead of sitting there in front of his model playing with the stone dragons. And Every episode has shown Allison to be nothing but sympathetic and 
kind of tragic. Uh, she has been, you know, basically everyone's shoulder to cry on. Like she's not, she has been helpful to everyone. She has been um, trying her best, I think, with good intention and to be um, a mediator or a, you know, compliant uh, woman in her role, basically. Um, she has tried to get Rainier to accept her role. She has tried to get... Um, Viserys to accept Rhaenyra in in his own in her the way she is but to like get them to reconcile and to work together for each of their common you know desires and Otto's out of there so like she is just a tragic character um her uh her contrast to Rhaenyra started when they were sitting on that bench together and you saw um you kind of you get the you realize that um wow enough time has passed that Allison's no longer pregnant which means that she's had two kids at the, by this point and um Rhaenyra hasn't seemed to have had much change in her personality she seems to still be in the same stubborn non you know doesn't really do the work to be the leader that she wants you know that role of but she is still you know strong-headed and all this stuff so like Allison's gone through so much and Rhaenyra seems to kind of be this static character who has all of this privilege and like I still feel for Rhaenyra in her own case, but like for Allison, just every scene where you see her contrasted with Rhaenyra just makes Rhaenyra look like a brat. And poor Allison is this tragic uh, um, character that we we just feel bad for her. Uh, she's doing her best, man. Like they had the scene where the lamplighters come in and they put our, that's the only visitor she has while she's holding this like crying baby and she's just doing her best. You know, that's her night. Like you said, Matt, like that was her night. She bounced this baby, wouldn't stop crying. Uh, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts about the tea that she made for herself. Like my first thought, of course, even before the end of the episode was like, is she just trying to make sure she doesn't get pregnant again? <laughs> mm. She does it. It's a different looking tea, but she pours some you know, liquid over a, um, some something on a spoon. No, you don't think so? I didn't even notice that. No. Like I was like, there's so much. That was the thing it, I missed. Yeah. I didn't I even mean, notice that. Uh, yeah. Cause the only, uh, the only other thing that I think that it would be, would be just a sleep aid of some kind some kind of little oh. bit of milk of the poppy or something like that because she's had such trouble with that darn baby who's probably kept her up day and night for who knows how long it's a good point so, too yeah it could have been something innocuous but i just kind of you know they showed her drinking preparing something herself and drinking it so like you know why wouldn't a servant make that tea for her anyway i don't know yeah <laughs> at the same time like she's trying to get rhaenyra to fall into the same line of work you know and i don't love her for that either so you mm. know i feel bad for her up to a point because at some point you, you we do have to apply agency to her as well and then this was like she this was the highest rung she saw for herself and she's allowed that to be her apex and she's kind of you know she's uh she's made her bed and she's um starfishing in it <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that i found really interesting is that despite her confronting rhaenyra about it the next day or, or what have you or whenever she gets the news of it uh and confronts rhaenyra i found it very interesting that after she has that conversation with rhaenyra um she's still the same person who is willing to give you know we can we can sit back and say well rhaenyra clearly made some choices that may not have been the best choices um or we can say that Rhaenyra had a lot of choices made for her that weren't the great choices but she did make one choice and she did choose to not confide in Alicent uh, about what actually happened later so in that way I found it 
even more powerful of Allison's character to suggest, well, Rhaenyra has never really lied to me. She says this to her king, to her husband. Damon has. You've seen Damon lie all the time. So who's to blame here? Because I just found it very wonderful and positive that Allison continued to go to bat for Rhaenyra, even though she's really not in a position to because she doesn't know the whole truth. I, I do like that we just got to feel more what she was feeling, however awful those feelings were, because I I feel like we've been kind of missing that in the previous episodes a little bit, like mm. I, things that have happened to her. We don't really get much of her reaction um, to like the things happening around her. Um, just we just kind of see her in living in those moments. And it's true for the, everybody, but. I don't know, with some of the other characters, we have a, a little bit of a better understanding about like exactly where they're coming from, but we really don't with Allison much up until this episode, we get it the most. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate getting to see more of kind of where she's at, what she's actually feeling versus just us watching her, like Kelly said, climb the ladder and reach that goal. The one thing that I want to point out that you know people have to keep in mind is that in this era when you're talking about especially the nobility and you're talking about inheritances and this is mm-hmm. prior to anybody being able to discern you know through dna tests or anything like that one of the big reasons why women you know they had to be so careful about you know what if women were sleeping with who they were sleeping with is because if they did have children they wanted to be able to prove that they were you know who they who the father was this in the special we're talking about inheritance and so forth um so and at the end of this episode kind of plays into that and they really this whole episode they kept um focusing on you know there was that conversation in the garden at the beginning with uh Renera and Alicent uh where Renera brought up the fact that you know marriage represented to her being caged in a castle and having to squeeze out airs was her phrasing and Allison immediately was kind of uh, you know struck by how <laughs> how that described her situation you, you could see yeah. that easily and then they framed her when she was holding the baby uh, I've heard a couple people talk about that it looked like she was in a prison the way that uh, uh, was that was shot that scene to the fact that we get her with Viserys and then that being intercut with the with uh, Daenerys in the brothel with um, with Damon, you're getting this in very contrasting view of these two sexual situations. One of them where you know it's a duty, and the other one where it's more about pleasure. This this whole situation just it. This is kind of the prison that her father asked her to sign up for because this isn't i i i failed to see how like she she can make care for viserys but i don't think she actually is like in love with viserys and neither i I, it's just that whole situation clearly this is all all duty this is kind of like for the uh, glory of her house and it's kind of interesting the fact that Rhaenyra had brought up earlier that all these men really want is just my Targaryen blood and like close closeness to the to the throne. That's all these suitors really want and I guess yeah. really desire. They don't desire her. 
which is right. kind of an inter- interesting perspective from a monarch because kind of sometimes I think people, when they're in a position of power like that, they can't they can't separate what the true desire is. They just see the, pe- the fact that people want them as oh they want them. They they don't they don't see the true intent behind it. So that from both angles, it's everyone understands exactly what's going on here, which is I guess a, a fresh perspective because sometimes I think people aren't really coherent enough to understand that that's what the intentions are uh zooming in laser eyes um why white worm why Ooh, now see this was the one that i that just puzzled the heck out of me if she's using that name or even if she's known by that name the fact that Otto accepts information from her as truth what does this say about the brothel scene air for a day thing was it Masaria who told Otto about that mm. is Masaria just working for Damon are they coming up with some kind of plan to get Otto out of there by presenting this information that'll cause so much trouble that they think maybe Otto will get kicked out which is what happens uh, but my question is is why is Masaria doing this why, what purpose does it serve her or her and Damon or Otto for that matter? And why would Otto trust her? I mean, if, if he knows who she is, if he only knows her as the white worm, then perhaps he doesn't know the association with Damon. Cause I have a feeling that Otto, even Otto is smart enough to figure out that if information is coming from one of Damon's mistresses, you might not want to take it. Uh, as gold, regardless of what kind of opportunity it presents. But I want to know, Holly, your impressions of Masaria and this reveal that she is, in fact, the one that is sending these messages to Otto, maybe for the first time, although it, with a name like the White Worm, seems like this kind of transaction has happened before. I don't know. I, I, the only thing I could really speak to i think is her motivation um and i think she had a line very much like Varys's line back in game of thrones where uh he's talking about how he came up and he learned that he could sell information for far more worth than what he could whatever he was thieving or parts of his body and i think she just figured out that same trick now whether her and damon were like in cahoots this whole time um i didn't really take a lot of take any time to think about that possibility and i like that idea um i kind of hope that's the case because otherwise i don't know i mean it mm, did he just like leave her at dragonstone with no instructions or did like was she doing this because he left and to keep them Hmm. you know kind of in the loop of what's going on in king's landing so maybe he she could have just been watching king's landing for damon and Hmm. kind of passing information along to him just as well and um you know selling good information to whoever's buying in this case auto hightower might have been buying i'm not too sure lots of possibilities well my logic is often flawed as you two can attest to but my thinking is that if she was one of the sources that auto brought to viserys for the air for a day then that's two times she's worked kind of against Damon's interest and yet she still seems to be willing to take care of him willing to do that is she playing Damon 
or is she playing auto? That's the thing that I can't figure out. Um, and for me right now, it's a coin toss. But she's playing somebody. She's got to be. What does she have to gain, though? We know what she, I mean, so I believe, I believe she's one of the characters, the few characters I actually believe everything that she says. She just, I could be, and I could be way wrong, but like, I feel like when she talks about herself, she's, she's speaking the truth mm-hmm. um, as far as her motivations on why she does what she does. And that that's why I'm more inclined to think about it being in cahoots with Damon, because she has no benefit for herself. Exactly. Unless it is. Exactly. That's I, that's I, I, I'm kind of leaning more towards that if it's one or the other, um, if it's it, but what it could, maybe it just is, she's, this is her business now and she's selling information to the highest bidder and who's going to have a higher bid than the red keep. Yeah, that's a good point. Kelly, did you have any thought on any of this or about Masaria in general? My real thoughts on her is that we saw her in the first um, time we saw her, she seemed to be very res- subservient to Damon and she was looking out for him. She was you know, making him feel better. But now it's changed so much. And the, the only thing that changed in between was that there were four years, I guess, of from when he was in King's Landing before to now. And in that time, he took her to Dragonstone and then he went off to the Stepstones. So I can actually see there being really good reason for her to dislike him and that she's basically just putting up with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and she'll she can't do anything about it um but she can use him to make her you know to prosper herself and that's what she's doing uh when we saw her four years ago she was um a prostitute at the the establishment now it seems like she's at least running her own side business with these um informants mm-hmm. uh the only thing that makes me think that she might the demon might be in on it is that she did take the payment in front of him in the uh in his room which seemed like that wouldn't be prudent, but maybe she knew he was right. so out of it. <laughs> in the state that he was in, I don't know if he noticed, but th- that is a good point. Other than that, it, it just seems like my Syria is looking out for my Syria here. Yeah, okay. um, I agree. I think that uh, she's looking out for herself uh, above all else. And as someone who has been in a position to be uh used and abused by others that's uh, uh you know best for her to to do that uh and we saw that her concern with damon when uh, they were at dragonstone that he really wasn't giving her the protection that she had hoped that uh, he would give her so she's going to be acting you know for herself i do find it curious how long she's been doing yeah. this with uh but yeah, with Otto. Um, and Otto, of course, has referred to her a couple of times as Damon's whore when he, mm-hmm. you know, brought her up very, you know, disparagingly, both at Dragonstone and in the small council meetings. Uh, so he's aware of who she is. How long have they had this ongoing uh, relationship going on? Yeah, that's the question for me, too, because does it go does it go all the way back to heirs for a day? Uh, mm-hmm. You know. Uh, what was was she one of the three sources the three independent sources that he said he conferred with or confirmed uh all of that with um so that was one of the things that i was thinking about john any thoughts about masaria here i don't have anything i think really in addition to wow these are all really great things i hadn't thought about the air for the day aspect at all and that's a really really good point because seeing her as one of those three is not surprising to me 
um, especially the fact that he kind of um, really echoes like her truthfulness and accuracy and dependability on um, her perspective. Uh, it, I mean, I personally also took it as kind of like Damon's kind of, he pushed her into a position that she didn't want to be in. So she felt the need to, or not the need, but like, look, if you're going to treat me like this and you're going to just kind of use me as a pawn to get something that you want, I'm going to use my position to get what I want and really just use my advantage here and work it to what she needs and what she mm -hmm. wants. Uh, John, where did it land? I think that's the good old dagger prophecy. The dagger prophecy. This might be short and sweet because mm -hmm. uh, essentially everybody just, you know, they did a Lord of the Rings thing and and put the put the prophecy on the knife. Evidently, um, what I think that this says is that here are these Targaryens. They love dreams. They love prophecies. They've even etched this Valyrian dagger with the prophecy, and you can assume that this is supposed to be. Um, at least representative of the dagger that will uh, ultimately kill the Night King. Uh, ain't no Targaryen anywhere near, uh, which just, it doesn't mean that the show got it wrong. It just means that the Targaryens got it wrong uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the show universe, not in the book universe, in the show universe. The, 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 the Targaryens, and their dreams ain't so much. Saved them from Valyria. That's a good stroke, but I don't know what else their dreams have done for them. Hmm. Well, uh, we do have to think about the fact that there is the White Walker threat that does eventually happen. So, I mean, if uh, Aegon did have this dream, he was foreseeing something. Yeah, but from my blood comes the, the prince that was promised, and his is the Song of Ice and Fire. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not exactly accurate. In terms of what? In terms of who ends up killing, actually killing the white, the Night King. Yeah. Well, that goes into my opinion about the final episode. So. <laughs> All right. So here, here we'll put it. We'll phrase it this way. Uh, did we need the scene? What do you think, Susan? Did we, did we actually need that scene, or is it just something to? Uh, significance I saw in it was just that uh, Viserys was trying to remind Rhaenyra that he had, by raising her to his heir, that he was uh, entrusting her with this all-important information. Yeah. And that she, by behaving so recklessly, she's not living up to what he expects from her after entrusting her like that. I think that that's a valid point. John, did you care? Of course I care, Matt. Oh. I mean, how could you not care? Well, how did you care about it? Oh, I, I mean, I, I mean, like you were kind of provoking this. I mean, if you want to split hairs, I mean, I think the, uh, the prince that was promised or princess that was promised, however you want to look at it, uh, the, the blood of the dragon was essential to putting things in the place they needed to be to make it happen the way it happened. And I am a firm believer that it's not necessarily the one who like kind of strokes the blade to kind of take down the white walkers. It's 
they will probably command or lead um, the people that take down the White Walkers. I think the show version is a very boiled down, very simple take on the way it will go down. I don't see a Targaryen being the one that will fell the White Walkers to kind of win the war. I've and, and again, I'm probably foolish to think this, that George will finish this story, but I always took it as kind of similar to the show, but they will kind of coordinate things to kind of turn the tide, win the war. That That's how I took it. I felt like Dave and Dan took more the last hero approach mm, than, okay. uh, than the prince that was promised approach, which is fine. I, I mean, if that's, that's what you want to do, it, it's now the show canon, so... That's the way that it goes. I was just making a joke of the fact that Targaryen's <laughs> dreams are not working. They just don't work. I thought it was kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> I didn't care for it. Uh, I, I love that they are trying to create this through line. Uh, but this uh, they keep shoehorning it in. And I want either there to be a payoff or to just we get it. There's a big deal that they have to keep an overhead lookout for, which in Game of Thrones, it was the White Walkers that they opened the show with. And you kind of have that doom sense the whole time. But we know we're not going to see the payoff to this prophecy in this series. So it just kind of keeps coming up again as, you know, all these little Games of Thrones that we're playing aren't, you know, but look at the grand scheme of things and how important it is. Like, it doesn't ring true to me. Holly, what thoughts do you have about the dagger scene? I'm looked like you pretty much agreed with Kelly, but yeah, yeah, mostly. And I think the only thing that would, that could make it better if they keep bringing it up is more Targaryens finding out about the prophecy and then maybe their reaction to the prophecy could incite some actions that could start even more mess. So I wonder if that's where that's going to play in later. And that's why they keep, Viserys kind of keeps reminding us and he's like if he starts to maybe lose trust in Rhaenyra like he may be after the events of this episode would he tell Allison? would he tell his son uh Aegon as he gets older um and then what does that mean then them knowing what does that mean I, that's kind of the only way that that I can see it really paying off anything that we're watching now um otherwise I really I don't I don't care We've kind of talked about this already, but I can see that the wheel has come up on uh, a new yay or nay. It's come up on yay Nira or nay Nira. So uh, if anybody wants to reemphasize their thoughts about this whole scenario for Rhaenyra and why she lied, why, you know, did she lie? Technically, I would say no. But uh, on the other hand, um, she certainly didn't tell all of the truth. So how do we feel about Rhaenyra after the events of this episode? I, again, I was very appreciative of her um, taking some agency in her own sexual life uh, rather than it being handed to her. And again, purporting to her father is like, look, if I was a boy, this wouldn't matter at all. And him, of course, having to point out to her that she isn't a boy. And in this world, it does matter. But I still love the fact that that was brought up. So I am still quite yay Nira at the end of this particular episode. I think she made some poor choices. 
I'm not sure that she had the full capability to make some of those choices, but she certainly did in the courtyard with Allison, and she did choose to withhold some information from Allison. And if she truly was trying to, you know, maybe she's at a place where she can't, doesn't feel like she can trust Allison uh, yet. But uh, Kelly, after this episode, are you still yay Nira? Or are you nay Nira? I'm I'm still yay Nira. Uh, I think she, I do think she technically lied in uh, to Allison. I think she technically said Damon didn't touch me. I'm like, girl, you could have lied better. Like you could have said, <laughs> like. You could have said something less true because <laughs> he did touch you. That was what exactly he did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could have said he didn't, you know, deflower me. He did, we did not couple as uh, Otto <laughs> eventually said. <laughs> I was not sullied by yes, Damon. Exactly. Yeah. He, he didn't sully me. Like, yeah, there are a lot of ways. Maybe I'm just like, maybe it says more about me than about Rhaenyra that I'm like, if you're going to lie, girl, <laughs> lie better. <laughs> But good point. How about you? Holly? Good, be good at it. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, I'm okay. I I, I wouldn't say I'm like yay or nay, like one way or the other. But I oh no, this is an extreme show. We have to take I a take and go all the way. Really disliked Rhaenyra throughout a lot of this episode, and not just based on like the events that happened, but just how she treated people. Um, so like the first scene, she was really rude to all of those suitors okay like so like i mean i get it you're a princess and you get to pick whoever you want but man like she did not have to go that hard and then after we were discussing it earlier and i had it backwards and she was like being friendlier to the asshole butthole bracken i was like oh okay no like that's like uh-uh. no that sucks like why is she supporting the bully there like that that's not cool did not like that um and then just her attitude with the, we touched on a lot, a lot of these things already, but her attitude with uh, Damon when they're talking about the small folk and when they're in flea bottom and uh, that's, that's not a great, it's not a great take to have. Yeah. You should know a little bit better. You're getting older. You should understand a little bit more about w- what your role is. And at least that perception of having, you know, that perception of respect and people liking you to an extent to respect you as a ruler so wasn't happy with her there um and just in general she just doesn't seem very interested in learning to rule it's it's kind of like oh she was told she's gonna get it but she doesn't really do we don't see her doing anything this may be part partly Viserys' fault for not giving her stuff to do but I also don't see her hungry for stuff to do either um so, and then we have the whole Kristen Cole thing that not great. And then the lie, um, but just, yeah, in general, I just, it's kind of hard to side with her this time around and not just based on her bad decisions, but just how she treated people, her peers, little people that are not her peers. Didn't, didn't like that. Not very respectful human. Yeah. So it's, it's more like me. It's, it's more may nira may nira 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 kudos for the agency kudos for like you know being being boss boss b you know when when is needed and she has done that in the past but i'm thinking i, I watched this episode and i wasn't with y'all last week but i was like would the white heart have appeared to this Rhaenyra? i don't think so like that mm. was i seriously thought that i was like mm 
Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Holly, I think if you remember, there was the scene in um, the small council where uh, she was actually sitting at the small council table when they were talking about the Valarians and the wedding proposal that was going on there. Um, That's right. That's right. She she was sitting there. And by the end, she does concede to marry Lenore. So I feel like there's some growth where maybe last year, Rhaenyra, two years ago, Rhaenyra might not have um, conceded to those points. So maybe a lot of her growth is happening off screen because, yeah, this this episode definitely highlighted her immaturity, her impulsiveness, her Damon qualities, you might say. (laughs) um which we love to see in you know in any like royal person like it's it's why it's like the jasmine trope we love to see it but it doesn't um does not a good leader uh define so it's this wasn't a a, an episode for her uh leadership skills (laughs) yeah it it just seems like she would have been a little bit further along by now and i think and i don't know if i maybe i'm wrong to place that blame on her herself but I don't know. I just, I just felt like you should know a little bit better. I don't know. Interesting. I, I mean, I, I think overall, I'm in a very big uh, affirmative on Rainier this episode. Um, I, it's, it, it, and this is, this is uh, the book reading colors me a little bit, but at the same time, like I'm a big fan of this character, and I, I think this journey is gonna, it. it it may sour some people on her, but I do, I, I empathize with this character. She's dealing with a lot on her shoulders. And the fact that she kind of took a lot of this, owned it, and then threw it in her father's face mm-hmm. on top of all the political, like, standing issues. I would, I would, again, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that kind of assertiveness. However, I don't think some of the, in terms of playing your hand, I don't think it's best. However, I still support her. I I, I think she, I think she's doing what she's got to do. Picking on a Blackwood boy, endorse <laughs> endorsing a Bracken uh, bully, mm-hmm. uh, uh, sneaking out at night with her uncle. Yeah, and, and not saying, you know, brothel. Sure, you know, or saying, get the heck out of here. I'm going home. Ah, uh, hmm. I'd probably, on the whole, a little bit more uh, Rainier, yeah, and not just specifically for this episode, but in general for the character all along. But I do have my issues with her as well. Um, On the positive, I do agree that, you know, she's had a lot put on her, and I think it was interesting for the show to start with the idea that, uh, you know, in, in episode one, that she hadn't ever considered that she would be the heir and due to that she kind of just felt like you know she had the latitude to kind of just do what she wanted at the time and then all of a sudden this big responsibility was put on her and that would have you know changed her outlook on her life entirely from then on uh that's a big deal the one thing that's really bothered me about her behavior and I've seen this for several episodes now, I mean, probably more in the last two episodes, is that just like her telling Damon that she didn't care what the small folk thought about her, she also doesn't seem to care about insulting many of the nobles. And Mm -hmm. I think this is gonna 
return to bite her when she wants their support and allegiance in the long run. I mean, she talked to uh, Rainey's in that conversation about how, well, they all, you know, bent the knee and pledged themselves to me. But when these things are going to come into question, I mean, she was insulting the Lady Redwine um, and not being particularly friendly to people during that whole scene with the hunt. And uh, here at uh, the Baratheon, uh, you know, at uh, Storm's End, uh, you know, not only with the Brackens and the Blackwoods, but she was insulting the Dondarian guy at the beginning as well. And she just seems to not consider how these relationships should be important to her, especially if she thinks that she's actually going to become the heir and she wants the respect and support of these people. So we are in our fourth of five Westerosi movie scenes. You've seen Holly and Kelly do one. They did scene two. You've seen me and John do one. That was scene three. You've seen me and Stephanie do one. That was scene one. Right before we do our drawing, uh, you have your to get uh, time to get all of your guesses in by October 10th, by the way. Uh, you can submit them in the usual ways, tweet, email, website, if you don't mind sharing it, uh, YouTube, if you don't mind sharing it. But anyway, whoever has the most guesses, or if there's a tie for the most guesses, correct guesses, then we'll do a drawing. But nonetheless, uh, this fourth scene involves me, as usual, and somebody who you've not heard from in these scenes yet but you've heard her in this podcast it's me and susan we are doing a scene from a famous christmas or holiday if you prefer classic movie scenes from a westerosi movie khaleesi i know what i'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the year after that I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little calisar off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Yeti, Lys, the Dragon Pit, the Grape Set of Baylor, and then I'm going to go see the Citadel, see what they know there. Then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build dragon fields. I'm going to build keeps a hundred stories tall. I'm going to build bridges a mile longer than the one in Volantis. What, you want to throw a rock? Hey, Khaleesi, that's pretty good. What did you wish for? Baby dragons, won't you come out tonight? Won't you come out tonight? Won't you come out tonight? Baby dragons, won't you come out tonight? And... Spill right out of the moon. What did you wish for, Khaleesi? Oh, no. Oh, come on, Khaleesi, tell me. If I told you, it might not come true. What is it you want, Khaleesi? What do you want? You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Yeah. 